0: Yeah, what a what a great God we serve. When when we lived in uh, Longview, Texas, uh, there there was a hurricane that uh, that hit the Gulf Coast, and I, I can't remember what the name of the hurricane was, but it was a big deal. You know, there's a lot of lot of flooding in uh, in Houston and other other, other cities on the uh, on the Gulf Coast. Well, our church. We were about three and a half hours from there, and uh, we, we were going to take a bunch of uh, supplies, water, clothing, emergency supplies. And so um, you know, we, we got all this stuff gathered up, and we had a big van, big church van, and we rented the biggest U-Haul trailer we could, we could find. and just packed it up, just fully loaded. And Chris and I took it down there, and uh, it's only three and a half hours, so we, you know, we we had planned to uh, leave early in the morning, go down there, get it unloaded, come back, and be be back, you know, in the in the early hour into it. We so, you know, up up until about an hour into it, we we were on schedule pretty well. We we pulled out, we got about um, maybe forty five minutes away from from Longview, heading down there, and we had a blowout on the. Uh, on the church van, and uh, not really a good place to pull off or anything. But you know, we were on the shoulder of the road. We I could not find any tools like a the, the a jack and a lug nut wrench and uh, all, all this kind of stuff. So you know, we're, we're standing by the by the road. It was a busy highway, and just you know, what are we going to do? You know, Lord, what? What's going on here, you know we, And this guy comes by in a pickup truck, and he has every tool that you could possibly imagine in, in this truck. It's just like God sent an angel to, to rescue us. So he, he helped us uh, get, the, get the spare. He had the tools. Um, we, we disconnected the trailer, left it there. And we had to go back to Longview and buy a tire and uh, you know how that goes at a tire shop it's it's usually not a, a a quick deal and so we got we got the tire went back hooked the trailer up again and and some people who lived right there had uh, kindly very kindly moved the trailer onto their their property you know so that it would be off the road we got hooked up headed down there and you know our plans for being back uh, early afternoon; those were shot. We got home around midnight. Yeah, you know, just the whole thing was—it just took hours and hours. And uh, you know, we—you you're thinking, well, you know, I I had this timeline, I had this schedule, I had these expectations that things are going to go well. I'm, you know, we're doing something good for people, we're doing something good for the Lord. You know, why is all this, all this happening? And so, um, you know, kind of, kind of a lesson we learned was, you know, God is not bound by our expectations. And we, we see this in today's text where we, we see two different people who were in desperate need. They had critical needs and uh, we, we see that in, in, the, in, the, in the narrative, this, this idea that, that Jesus is not bound by our, our expectations but he responds to our, our faith. Uh, let's we'll, we'll kind of break this up. Let's read the first few verses of Mark. Well, we're starting in Mark uh, 5.21. So we'll read uh, 21 through 24. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, uh, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, "My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be well, made well, and live." And he went with him. So Jesus had Jesus returned back to the other side. Remember, before he had he had gone to the he'd gone across the Sea of Galilee to this this Gentile area. Uh, he, he liberated this this man who was possessed by uh, by a, an army of demons, and in doing this, you know Jesus began his ministry to the to the Gentiles. Now, Mark's narrative is very interesting here. You know, we uh, we mentioned before that that one of the techniques, one of the one of the literary devices Mark uses in the narrative is he, he sandwiches one story within another story, and we see that here. Each story illustrates or, or, or illuminates the other, I, I would say, and, and, and taken together, this, this common theme emerges. Each story demonstrates a, a very uh, extreme faith, a very deep faith amid desperation. And, and an urgent plea for, for help. The, the two situations are very similar, yet they are also quite different. Here we have the story of Jarius, or Jarius, we'll say Jarius. Uh, he, he was a prominent, powerful, male, wealthy, religious leader. He was a ruler of the synagogue. And that's the outer story. But within this story, there's another story contained in it, and it 's a story about a woman who was really uh, the opposite. she was kind of kind of an outcast you know in, 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 uh, in terms of social norms she she would have been completely the opposite of of jarius let's let 's continue our text in twenty four A great crowd followed him and thronged about him and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood. For 12 years. And who had suffered much under many physicians. And had spent all that she had and was no better off, but grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt her body, felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So this this poor woman, her her uh, she had this uh, this uh, issue of of blood, um, hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging. This this would have made her uh, you know ritually ceremonia, ceremonial un, ceremonially unclean. Uh, she wouldn't have been able to even attend the temple or a synagogue. So we have these two situations. We have two people who are, are very desperate. Yep, but they're different. Jairus' daughter was at the point of death. He needed Jesus there right now. Very urgent. Very urgent. He needed him at once. You know, this was uh this was an emergency that, that called for a very prompt response versus this woman's chronic condition. She'd been suffering this uh, this uh, hemorrhaging for for twelve years. She had this chronic problem. Jairus is is the ruler of the synagogue. You know he's he's responsible for the uh, the purity of the synagogue. This is this is important, and Mark points this out. You know, we could have, we could say that this guy was uh, a very prominent man in the uh, the city. He was he was wealthy. You know, he as the ruler of the synagogue and 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 being in charge of the the purity of this this synagogue. You know, he would have been very concerned about Jesus touching this woman who was ritually unclean. You know, by by Jew, by Jewish law, just. Being touched by somebody or somebody or something unclean would, would have rendered him unclean. His, you know, her her uncleanness would have been transferred to Jesus. Uh, this this woman probably knows who who Jairus is, uh, and so it's you know it's no wonder that she tries to remain anonymous. You know, it could also be that Jarius knew who this woman is as well. You know, it would have been part of part of his job to keep her out of the synagogue. Uh, one one of my professors at uh, Dallas Seminary said, you know, it would have been like she was on the uh, the TSA watch list. Now. You know, think think back on the last couple of weeks. You know these uh, these issues of of uncleanness that Jesus is encountering. Remember, he he goes across the lake into Gentile territory, unclean. He he goes into the tombs, unclean, to deal with this, this demonized man. More uncleanness. You know, the, the pigs unclean. But Jesus is more powerful than than anything that that can defile. So our first point is that Jesus is not bound by our social norms. Our social norms, you know, Jairus was this this ruler in the synagogue. He was he was rich. He was powerful. He was very very uh, well respected in the community. You know, his duties included uh, conducting the the. The synagogue worship, selecting those who would uh, lead the prayer, selecting those who would teach, read the scriptures. And to, so to appreciate Jairus' status, um, you know, we, it, it helps to understand the role of the synagogue in Jewish life at this time in the first century. And um, it's kind of interesting, that the, uh, origin of the origins of the synagogue are during the, the dispersion. Remember when we went through Ezra and Nehemiah, you know, people were coming back from, from their exile. Is when they were out away from Israel that the, the institution of the synagogue was uh, created. They didn't have a temple. They could not go to the temple to worship, so they, they established these, these centers of worship in the communities. Um, the The synagogues at, at the time were they were referred to as houses of prayer the synagogues were where people went to pray the primary role was a place where reading, teaching learning the law took place you know this this was very significant for Jews who were Living very far from from uh, the, the the temple, and even at the time of Jesus, the communities outside of Jerusalem had synagogues. You know, some of the earliest synagogues that archaeologists have found are were in Egypt. Uh, they also served the, as, as community centers, kind of a focal point for. Uh, a Jewish community within any particular town. Uh, the synagogue also helped provide um, a, a unifying identity for the Jews. You know, it was a special place, especially where they were surrounded by, by Gentiles. This is somewhere they could go and be followers of, of Yahweh, God. You know, it was a place where Jews could live according to the traditions of their fathers in the midst of the Gentiles, one commentator says. The synagogue also served as a uh, a place of learning, a school, a place of teaching. Uh, besides the home, the synagogue was the primary place of education. And uh, also, the uh, diaspora Jews met in the synagogues to... Uh, Eat. They they had communal meals there. This kind of sounds like the church, doesn't it? In fact, the uh, the the church. Really, I, I would I would say we have a pretty good argument that it was patterned after what the synagogue looked like. But since the synagogue was the center of religious and community life, uh, we could see that Jarius was a, a very important guy had very high status in, in community. Everybody looked up to him. The woman, on the other hand, in this narrative, I don't know if you notice this, but she wasn't even given a name. She's anonymous. She's just a woman. She's just a woman with this, this bloody discharge. She's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She's done everything she can to find a cure. She's totally broke because she's been to many, many doctors. None of these doctors has, has been able to help but they've been willing to take her money. Um, you know, kind It's kind of funny to point out um, that Mark seems to be kind of taking a jab here towards uh, the medical community at the time. And, and Luke does not mention this fact about the doctors. Luke is a doctor. But she was sick. Her system was weakened. She was looked down on as unclean. She wasn't allowed to be around people because she might touch somebody and transfer her uncleanness to them. You know, in, in society, she's got everything working against her. People would have gone out of their way to avoid her. So we, we need to feel for this woman. And so these two are on the opposite ends of the uh, social spectrum, but Jesus stopped. He's on the way to Jairus' house, and he stops to deal with this this woman he stopped and showed his compassion to her you know social status to Jesus made no difference they were both equally desperate they were both equally valued by Jesus and Jesus responded to the uh, to the faith that that each one showed uh, how does how does this relate to us? You know, there's I think there's a great illustration here of, of a principle that's that's spelled out in the in the scriptures, and it says in Acts ten forty three, <clears throat> God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. God doesn't play favorites. We all desperately need him. We all need his salvation. We all need his. Um, Healing, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual, you know, and his his response to our need is not based on our our social status. It's not based on how rich we are, or how smart we are, or how beautiful we are. You know, maybe, maybe that's a good thing for some of us. And we, as Jesus' disciples, need to keep this in mind in how we treat other people. You know what what kind of person are we willing to share the gospel with? What kind of person are we willing to invite to our church? What kind of person would we be willing to sit next to in in this church um, when i when I was in seminary, I heard sometimes uh lessons about church planting and you know, uh, strategies for growing churches and, and things like this. And one of the one of the principles that kind of um, confused me, one of the principles from the experts was that it's a good thing to, if you're going to plant a church, plant it where there's good economic growth. You know, plant it, plant it where there's money coming in and where there's affluent people moving in. Um that doesn't seem right to me. And, and maybe I, I've seen it. Maybe, maybe we all have seen where people of means are, are given special treatment in, in the church, and that's nothing new. James writes about that. In chapter 2, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or or, or sit down at my feet, you know, have you not made a distinction among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man, and are not the rich ones who oppress you, the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you've been called? See, Jesus is not bound by our social norms. He's not bound by our, our prejudices. And there's something else he's not bound by. And this is what can be frustrating to us. He's not bound by our timelines, our schedules. Now I don 't know about you, but um you know I, I'd kind of like for my prayer request to be answered right away you know i I'd, I'd, I'd love i'd love to see immediate healing for for my friends, for my my family, for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I would love that you know i'd, I'd be grateful. If people I knew who were struggling with with sin and not following Christ would t- turn around, repent, follow him, you know just stop in their tracks immediately you know these are these are urgent needs, all of them, but you know i i don't always understand why it takes so long for God to answer prayers. Have we all been there? This must have been what was going through Jairus' mind as he sees Jesus. Stopping to deal with this woman this woman who said who, and, and he stops he says he's touching my garments you know uh, his daughter was dying you know, he's, he's got to be thinking Jesus come on come on uh, you know I, I think I think we all know what it's like when we want to get somewhere in a hurry and somebody who needs to come with us is lollygagging it's like come on it's it's okay. Just wear what you got on. Let's go. <laughs> right? You know, and and when it happens it seems like uh yeah, what's important to us is more much more important to us than it is for for that other person. And this is what Jerry has had to to be thinking. Uh, Tim Keller, who who just died recently. He was a, he was a pastor in uh in New York City. He preached a sermon for this from this text, and he said that Jarius would have considered this to be malpractice. You know, to to us, and to Jarius, it it might seem irrational or or senseless. Why would Jesus do this? Why would, he, why would he stop and deal with this woman who's got this? She's had this problem for years. You know, he, he, Jesus, come on, you can come back here and deal with it later. My daughter's dying. Let's continue reading in verse thirty-five. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to him, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha Kumai, which means Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that, they should, <clears throat> or that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So both these people, Darius and this woman, are, are desperate for Jesus or for what Jesus Will do for them. But it really does seem like Jairus's need is much more urgent. You know, this this woman has this chronic condition. Um. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking, what would this be like? This would be like, you know, an ambulance, or maybe a fire truck. Yeah, a fire trucks going to a a fire. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a, a, a building that's that's on fire, and the the fire truck is heading that way. And stops to help somebody get a cat out of a tree. Uh, it would just be weird. So when the messengers came up and told Jairus it was too late that his daughter had already died, you know what? What went through his mind? It's like, oh, okay, I knew this. I knew this would happen. You know, if if he had hurried, maybe my daughter would be alive. You know, does this does this sound like any other story in the Gospels? But Jesus says, "Don't worry, trust me." You know, the parallel story I'm talking about is in John chapter 11. Lazarus, you know, where Jesus's friend Lazarus was sick. Jesus gets word of this, and he delays by a few days. It, it, it seems like he doesn't think it's urgent. He takes it lightly. You know, this, this urgent plea from Lazarus's sisters to come. Lazarus is dying and he said this illness does not lead to death it is for the glory of God and so, this, so that the son of God may be glorified through it and Jesus gets back to Judea to Lazarus' home Lazarus' sister Mary stays in the house the other sister cries out to Jesus if you had only been here my brother wouldn't have died Sounds like a very similar situation here. And then Jesus, Jesus says, Well, he'll he'll rise. She goes, Yeah, I know. You know, in the last days when we all are resurrected, he'll he'll rise. No, he says, No, this is this is different. Jesus makes this awesome statement though. I am the resurrection and the life. He's teaching. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Everyone who lives and believes in me. She'll never die. And then he proceeds to call Lazarus out of the tomb, and Lazarus comes out. Comes back from the dead right there. So, yeah, we don't always understand God's timeline. Uh, If you try to figure that out, uh, if that works, let me know. I haven't been able to do it. We rarely do. But Jesus says, Don't worry. Trust me. Trust me. Remember, back on the boat, Jesus said, You know, where is your faith? Where is your faith? It is trust in Jesus that we see demonstrated in in both of these people. You know, their desperate needs called for a bold faith. So Jesus is not bound by our expectations, our social norms, our schedules, but he responds to faith. Think about these two. This woman, she'd exhausted all her resources. She'd been forsaken by the world, but she acted on faith. She thought, if I could just squeeze in there and touch his garments. She'd heard the story. She'd heard what Jesus has done. And she's thinking, you know, maybe people won't notice me. Maybe I could just sneak in and, and be healed. Um, one commentator was talking about this woman um, even in the first century realized that uh, doctors have failed her and uh, there's there's a woman Bonnie Thurston who's a professor of New Testament studies said most women are hardly enamored by modern medicine in this field we can well imagine the indignities of first century treatment you know, she was not improved, but she had only grown worse. You know, she probably expected a, a rebuke from Jesus. Who knows? But Jesus had grace. His first word to her was not one of condemnation. What did he say? He said he called her daughter. Daughter. It's an affectionate term. You know, a, Recognizing and, and identifying her as a, a daughter of, of Abraham and, and a, a member of Jesus's new family. You know her 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 healing is a, dec- a direct result of Jesus's response to her faith. Let's look at Jairus's Jer- uh, faith. You know we we need to remember he's part of a group that feels threatened by Jesus. In fact, you know we we heard earlier. In the narrative, that they were already planning to to kill him. At the, by this point, you know, so it's it's a big step for him to uh, seek healing for his daughter from Jesus. You know, the, the woman who had had fallen at Jesus' feet after the healing, he was falling at Jesus' feet, imploring him earnestly to come and heal his daughter because she's dying. The, the way this is worded in the Greek is that he made strong requests and many of them. You know, he was, he was earnestly pleading with Jesus. He, he seems to know that Jesus can help. You know, where, where his faith really comes in, though, is when he gets to the house and they, they tell them, they tell him that the daughter had already died, and Jesus says, Don't fear, only believe. Yeah, you know, there's there's commotion. There's people wailing, weeping, making a lot of noise, a lot of commotion. Jesus says, you know, What what's what's with all the, the commotion? She's not dead, she's just sleeping. So what is Jerry is thinking at this point? You know, the 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 weepers and the wailers are now laughing at, at Jesus. But Jairus and his wife go with Jesus into the house to the little girl, and Jesus raises her, you know, and he he uses a term of endearment to for her also. Little girl. Little girl. I say to you, arise. You know, Jesus responds to faith. We see it here. We see it in these, these people who realize now that he's he's lord of sickness he's he's lord over death you know the 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 disciples had at this point failed the test during the storm you know and the, the faith test during the storm they failed But we see this bold faith in these these two people who were really both outsiders you know jesus allows us to go through storms we've talked about that He also allows us to to wait at times. You know, these are tests of our faith. These are opportunities for us to learn to trust Jesus. And, uh, you know, some of us are going through these tests right now. Right here. You know, many of us have waited a long time for for a need, something that we've gone to the Lord for. Uh, Some of us have waited and prayed for family members who are, or lost. Many of us have, have prayed for a long time for the the resolution of of physical issues, and uh, you know it's easy to respond wrongly. Um, another quote from Tim Keller he he says he said. When I look at the delays of God in my own life, I look back and I realize a great deal of my consternation has been the arrogance I believe. I look at Jesus and say, okay, you're the eternal Son of God who's lived for all eternity. You created the universe. Why would you know any better than me about how my life should be going? You see, there's, there's a self-righteous there. There's, there's an arrogance there. You know what? Why should I know all the facts? You know, how, how can I possibly know everything? You know, we, we feel like, well, why, why isn't everything going the way I planned it? You know, what is the answer? The answer is we're not God. You know, the, the, the self-righteousness needs to be knocked out of our, our hearts. The self-centeredness needs to be knocked out of our hearts. Our our faith is made mature. Uh, We we grow closer to the Lord as as He refines us in this, brings us closer to maturity. And in closing, uh, yeah, Jesus cares for all of us. He He really does, and He operates on on His own terms. He's not bound by our social norms. He doesn't share in our prejudices. Uh, His His way is higher. His, his love extends to all people. He wants all to come to, to salvation and, and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's First Timothy 2.4. Nor is he bound by our schedules, by our timelines. You know, his, his knowledge is, is perfect. You know, we, we have a very limited uh, perspective. He knows all. You know, there, there, were thing, there there are things that will remain mysteries to us uh, our entire lives. You know, on this on this side of eternity, um, it's difficult for us. It's difficult for me. But Jesus says, "Trust me, believe in me." You know, where where is your faith? Is what he asked the disciples back in uh, chapter four. And so this, this is a question for us as well. Where, where is our faith? Jesus responds to faith. You know, it's essential that we believe in him, that we trust in him, that we, that we lean on him when we have these storms and we have these uh, urgent issues. It's, it's by faith that we can come to him for salvation. It's also by faith that, that we can live and walk with him day by day. It's by faith that we, we can live the Christian life in a way that pleases him. Let's pray. Um, Lord, I, I think of that that guy who, who said to you, uh, "I believe, help my unbelief." I said, "Lord, we, we trust you, but our, our trust and our, our faith in you day by day is, is tested, and we know that, and you know that so lord we we thank you that you're there to uh, to help us to to teach us through these situations to learn to to trust in you more thank you that that we can believe in you knowing that that your love and your care for us lord is is perfect you know we don't we don't always understand lord but uh even, even when we don't get it, Lord, we, we trust in you. We put our faith in you. We pray in the, the wonderful in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.